Brother Andrew and I were both mistaken because I said, I don't think that line's in there either. And it ends, verse 3 and verse 4, but I long to meet my Savior first of all. And I thought, wow, we really knew that one well. Um, anyways, uh, and what's funny is I thought the song before that was going to be a Fanny Crosby song, and it wasn't. And so then he said that, and I thought, well, I got my Fanny Crosby hymn right there. Uh, so I was pretty happy. But uh, grab your Bibles, if you would, and turn over to the book of Jeremiah, Jeremiah chapter 17. I didn't know where I was going to start this message, and so we're just going to kind of jump in a little. Uh, I'll, I'll do a little bit of a preface, but not much of anything uh, as far as pastor this morning, when he was preaching, uh, I wanted to give you something. Uh, he referenced me a lot that I would have to answer all of your questions. So I'm going to take care of one of those right now. All right, so uh, for those wondering, we were talking about heaven. If you weren't here this morning, pastor was talking about the rapture, the taking away of the church, and it happens in a moment in the twinkling of an eye, and so I didn't want to leave him hanging. So I got it. Now, the blink of an eye, the time it takes for someone to blink their eyes in a normal, you know, not, not trying to speed up or do anything like that, it is somewhere around a tenth of a second, all right? That's the, that's the blinking of the eye. The twinkle of the eye is different. That is supposed to be the, the time it takes for light to go in and hit off all the pieces of the eye there, all the cones and the right and everything sees it, and then it comes back out and you see the little twinkle in somebody's eye. All right, so that's, that's the reference that he wanted the number on that there was no way I was pulling up uh, off the top of my head randomly while he was preaching on a Sunday morning on something I didn't study. So uh, I, didn't, I didn't have that information readily available, but I have it now. So uh, the twinkling of an eye, the scientist believes it is one billionth of a second. So blinking is a tenth of a second. The twinkle of an eye is a billionth of a second. So that is really fast. That's all I can tell you on how fast that's going to happen. So uh, there you go. There, there's the numbers for you. So if you were really wanting to know how fast the twinkling of an eye is, and you didn't want to look it up yourself, it's about a billionth of a second. All right. So there, there. I fixed one of those. Okay. Uh, if you would uh, look down here, very familiar verse probably to most of you. Uh, is in Jeremiah chapter 17 and verse number 9. And uh, I'm going to talk about it. It's, this is a topical, it's kind of a broad spectrum message right here. Uh, and I'll, I'll mention some things after I read just this one verse here. Uh, the Bible says in Jeremiah chapter 17 and verse number 9, The heart is deceitful above all things, and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Uh of course, the next verse reminds you that the Lord is the one who knows it, all right? I, the Lord, search the heart, and try the rain, I try the reins, and so on. Uh, but tonight I want to look at a, a phrase that shows up repeatedly in the Scriptures, and it's above all. Above all. There are certain things that are uh, the Lord counts as the most important out of the list of things that He's talking about, uh, or the most important thing that He can reference in that, in that spectrum, that little area that He's talking on. And I've got five of them tonight, and uh, you can pray that I'll be as fast as Brother Knowles giving you five of them, and we'll see if I can catch up to him. He's rapid fire, but it 
probably won't happen. But anyways, um, if you missed the weekend, it was a good weekend with him, and uh, I, it was a blessing uh, for me personally as well as I think, I hope, for our teenagers as well as our church. And so, uh, but once again, tonight we're going to talk about some things that are above all the other things that he's talking about in that list. And so we're going to have a bunch of varying ideas in different, different areas of our lives that the Lord has laid out some things that maybe we should have in a more important place uh, or be thought of in a more important place than maybe we don't, we don't really put it there, but the Lord does. And so let's take a look at some of those tonight. And so we'll have a quick word of prayer and jump right in. Father, we do uh, just praise you and glorify you tonight. I thank you that one day we are going to hear a trumpet sound and, and we're going to get off the face of this earth and spend all of eternity with our Savior and get to see you face to face. Uh, Lord, the one that we talk about, the one that we read about, the one that we think about, the one that we want to be just like, Father, we finally get to be just like you, for we'll see you as you are. And Lord, tonight I pray that you'd help me to say everything that need to, needs to be said, nothing more and nothing less than what you'd want done tonight. And Father, we pray that you would work in our hearts, be with our pastor. I pray you'd put your hand upon him even now that you'd touch his body and, and take away the headache and the migraines and, and the problem he's having right now, that, uh, Lord, you'd put his neck right back in place and wouldn't have to have any more issues tonight, that it would clear out and he'd be able to think clearly and get some really good sleep and rest tonight. Father, we pray that you would bless our service even now as we miss him, but, Father, we know that you can do exceeding abundantly above anything we ask or think tonight. And So, Father, I do pray that you would. Lord, I don't know who is saved and who's lost in this room, but you do. And so, Father, if someone is lost, I pray they'd call upon Jesus Christ alone. But those of us that are saved, I pray you'd help us to get things in the right order and the right perspective in our minds as well, that Jesus Christ would be high and lifted up and exalted, even now in Jesus, our Savior's name. Amen. Amen. So we'll, we're going to start with this one. Uh, Jeremiah 17, 9, we already read it, right? And that's the heart is deceitful above all things. Uh, this is the most deceitful that you'll deal with. Uh, to be deceitful means that it, it's guile, it's trickery, it's, it's trying to deceive you and put you into a place where you'll do things that you shouldn't do based upon the information that you're given. Right, isn't that, de the deceitful is it's trying to lure you into a place that you don't, you really shouldn't go into, but it wants you to get over there so it can get what it wants. All right, it's the used car salesman, right? He's trying to, you know, the, the typical used car salesman, I hope there's nobody in here. Anyways, um, I won't talk about auto mechanic, um, but, uh, right, we talk about those used car salesmen, what are they doing? Uh, they want to sell you a lemon, but they want to talk you into it, right? They want to get you to. They want to get you in the place where you have to buy that, and when you do, you got to pay the. You got to pay the bill either way, and then you got to pay to fix it. But they want it off their lot, you know. And they don't want to deal with it, and that's that's your heart. And notice what he said about it. We go well, uh, you know, the devil. He's a deceiver. He is. The devil tries to deceive us, but our problem never gets to the devil very often. I mean, how often do we really deal with him? That what's the problem? The problem is my heart. Because the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? You realize that all things includes the devil? Your heart deceives you more than he does. Oh, he's a deceiver and he tricked Eve and he did all the things and he played the game and he moved all the pieces around. But oftentimes, you know, oh, the devil made me do it. Nope, your heart did it. 
It's the lust of your heart. You got what you wanted to do. Your heart wanted something. Your emotions went that way. Your, your love and your desires went that way. And you know what you did? You went that direction. And nobody else made you do it. Nobody else tricked you into it. You tricked you into it. <laughs> you know, it's funny to me how many things we can justify because we just want it. How many times did your heart get you into trouble because it went after the things that shouldn't? You loved the things of the world instead of the things of God, and it got you in the place where you were in trouble. He says, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the eyes and the lust of the flesh and the pride of life are not of the Father, they're of the world. And we run to all those things because our heart runs to those things, and God's going, Hey, I, no, you got to give me my son, give me thine heart. He reminds us, keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Our biggest problem is not everybody else. Our problem is internal, and it's our heart. And it deceives you into thinking, I've got everything under control because I'm okay, and nobody knows it. And inside, you're in turmoil. You know, it makes me think about the prodigal son. And the prodigal son, right, he, uh, he goes out and he wants, he wants his inheritance now. He wants it today. And the prodigal son shows up, and the, the rich man, right, he's got two sons, and the one son, hey, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. I want them now. And so the father divides the inheritance out, and he gives over to the one brother, the younger brother, he gives him what he wants, and he goes, and he goes out into the world, and he wastes his substance with riotous living. He winds up, right, we all know what's happening there, he winds up at the pig pen of the world, and he's there, and he's, eating the, he's ready to eat the husks that the pigs are eating. And he comes to himself and he says, what am I doing here, right? I have sinned against, I'm going to go home. My father's got bread. His servant's got bread. I'm sitting here starving to death. I might as well just go home and say, Father, I have sinned against heaven before thee. I am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thine hired servants that I may have bread to eat. And he's ready to come home and he's ready just to go, hey, you can have everything. I don't even need anything. Just give me enough bread to eat. Just let it, make it so I can eat something, because <laughs> I'm starving. And the elder brother who didn't go anywhere, you know where he is? He's out in the field doing work. And the father goes ahead, he kills the fatted calf, and they're making merry, and they're throwing a party, and the elder son comes home. You say, what's his problem? His problem's his heart. His problem's his heart. He's mad because you never threw me a party. And the father goes, don't you understand? Your brother was dead and now he's alive. He's lost and he's found. Say, what happened to the elder brother? Oh, he never left the father's house. He looks like the good kid. But he didn't love what the father loved. He should have rejoiced with his father that his brother came home. Say, what's his problem? Am I going to lose part of my inheritance now that he's back? How come he gets my fatted calf? Isn't that mine? I can be throwing him a party. Isn't that about me? How come I never got a party? So what's his problem? Heart problem. Heart problem. So what is it? It's deceitful. You'll think people will be great people, but you find out that their heart's terrible. And eventually you find it out. You say, why? Because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. Eventually it shows up. It shows up not just in their, 
not just in their heart, it starts popping out their mouth and in their actions and everything that they do, it starts going against everything that they know that should be true. Our heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Our heart deceives us and it is desperately wicked and too many times we go, oh, I'm good. And you're not. The problem with the children of Israel, this people, they honor me with their lips and they praise me with their mouth, but their hearts are far from me. Well, I say all the right things and I'm, I'm here and it's Sunday night. I know, but your heart could be in the wrong place. The lost man doesn't know Jesus Christ as his Savior, has no idea whether he's going to heaven or not, looks around, you go to hand him a gospel track, we hear it all the time. You go to witness to him, you go to talk to him about salvation, talk about heaven, and they go, oh no, I'm good. I love God. I mean, sure, I love Jesus. I mean, sure, I love church. But they've never asked Him to be their Savior. They don't understand that God loved them enough to die for them. Gave His life and paid the debt of all of their sins and turns it all over. You say, what's their heart doing? Their heart's deceiving them. Well, sure, I love God. Okay, if you love somebody, you love the things that they love. You love what they love. Jesus Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. Jesus Christ loved sinners and paid the debt of all of their sins. Jesus Christ loved the Word of God. He is the Word of God. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us when we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. He loves the brethren. Look over at Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. Our heart deceives us. Our heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. It's the most deceitful thing you'll get. And it's funny because we think we're good for a moment and we, may, we might be. And right about the time we think we've got it all under control, the heart goes, yeah, but look over there. <laughs> and we turn just a little bit. It's amazing how quickly our love fades and wanes and we don't keep things in order. Our heart pulls us away. You get to Colossians chapter 3. The Lord's the one who tries the heart and the reins. That's what he said. He said that in verse number 10 back there. Right? He's trying the heart and the reins, and he's going ahead. And I like this analogy. I know the reins in the Bible is not, not what I'm about to talk about, okay? The reins are talking about renal and all the things, you know, that gets into all sorts of stuff, all right? But uh, you see that word reins, and it makes me think of, makes me think of a horse. I know it's different reins, okay? I, I know this, okay? But he's trying the heart. We talk about people, you know, oh, they tugged on my heart, right? The Lord's trying the heart. Say, so what's he doing? He's getting in the saddle. And, of course, Miss Hannah over here, she can, she can do way more. Miss Nancy can do way more on this than I can. But if you're working with the horse and you've, what they call, they, you've broken the horse and you're riding, you're not, you're not on the horse going, okay, turn right and you're yanking so hard and ripping their face off. 
for the most part, it's, it could be just the flick of a finger almost because they feel that little tug on the rein and they turn. And then they turn. And you want them to go faster and slower and it's all based upon, it's not, it's not them yanking on everything. That's a stubborn mule you yank on, right? That's a donkey. You're yanking on them. But the horse is supposed to be able to turn and to be guided by the reins. Much simpler. Thank you for not ruining an illustration. I appreciate that. Uh, it's, it's much simpler. They turn him. And that bit, he says that bit turns the horse. That little tiny piece, just that's the thing that just turns the horse. And you, you direct the horse the way you want it to go. How much does the Lord have to pull on you to turn you? That's how you know how close you are. That's how he's trying the heart. He goes, hey, would you do this? Yeah, but I love that over there, so I'm going to go toward that. And your heart's deceived you into going after all the other things. I'll tell you one of the answers for it is to go ahead and find the most desired thing he'd want you to have. Look over at Colossians chapter 3 and verse number uh, 12. Put on therefore as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another and forgiving one another. If any man have, any, have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. And above all these things, put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness. You know what the Lord tells you? He says, uh, through the Apostle Paul, you know what he says? He says the most desired attribute you could possibly have is to put on charity. Say, so what is that? That's the love of God in action to you. And then you try to have the love of Christ that's shed abroad in your hearts. It's supposed to be shed out. It's supposed to be put out there. It's supposed to be bestowed upon others. Say, so what's wrong? Your heart's wrong. You've been deceived by the most deceitful thing you possibly can and you've stopped loving the things you're supposed to love. The charity that God wanted you to have to others isn't there anymore. Instead, you need to go back and go, Lord, Lord, I need to get the most desired thing that I could put on. That's the most necessary thing that you need in the Christian life. You know what it is? Charity. Then what's charity? Love of someone else without expecting anything back. Isn't that what the Lord did for you at Calvary? You're, you go to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, you read all about charity. One of those beautiful chapters in all the Bible is 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Right? He talks about it. Charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up, doth not behave herself unseemly, seeketh not her own, rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth. Beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. He gets down to the end of that passage and there's three. Faith, hope, and charity. And the greatest of these is charity. The greatest of these is charity. Realize the reason that is is because your hope, if you're saved in here tonight, you know you're going to heaven. Your hope is found in that blessed hope, the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. He's going to change our vile body. And Pastor talked about it this morning. You and I, we're going to attain the hope that we're looking for. We're, we eventually are going to be face to face with Christ our Savior. Face to face, what will it be? When with rapture I behold Him. You finally get to see Him. 
You finally get to, to have eternal life and hope of eternal life with God that cannot lie, promised before the world began. He says, hey, look, I've got a hope. It's eternal life, and I'm going to attain it. And one day, hope is going to be replaced with attainment. You've gained that. He says, hope and then faith. Well, faith is believing something unseen. There's evidence of it. You look around at the creation and at the universe, you understand there's a God. Not because you've seen God, but because you've seen what He does. And once you get to that place and you start to believe there is a God, then you believe that He is and that He's a order of them that diligently seek Him and you find Him and you go ahead and the Lord gives you the answers and He starts enlightening your eyes and you come to the Savior and you trust Jesus Christ and then you step into eternity and all the things that we believe we're going to get, our faith is now sight. We get to see it. Well, it's no more faith, it's sight. <laughs> but the love of God doesn't end. It's on ending. That's why it's the greatest. Pastor mentioned it this morning. I don't know how I don't know how I don't know how comfortable you're gonna be when you get to heaven if you don't know how to praise him. I don't know how comfortable you're gonna be in heaven if you don't have charity now. If you can't find a way to love some other people. What is the point? <laughs> our, our whole purpose is your memory verse for next Sunday, and your, our whole purpose is right up on that on the wall behind me. Thou worthy, O Lord, receive glory and honor and power. For Thou hast created all things, and for Thy pleasure they are and were created. The whole verse isn't up there. For Thy pleasure they are and were created. It is to please Him. Well, above all these things, why don't you put on charity? Wouldn't that please Him? Doesn't it please Him when you live like Him? I don't know anybody more charitable than Jesus Christ. I don't remember which song that was in. Uh, Comforter has come. I don't remember the exact phrase, but it talks about how... how uh, a child of hell, being a child of hell, and then getting eternal life and, be, and getting salvation because the comforter showed up. You talk about charity. <laughs> you talk about somebody loving you enough. Let's face it, you don't know everything I've ever done. I don't know everything you've ever done. Neither one of us wants to know all that information. Amen? I don't want to know everything you've ever done. Whew. I don't even like everything I've ever done, let alone if I had to know everything you've ever done. And we've failed and we've messed up and we've and to think that somebody as terrible as I am gets to spend eternity in a holy and a sinless place like heaven with a God that can do anything he wants to do. He didn't have to take me. He didn't have to save me. You talk about charity. Well, you don't have to do that for those people. They're, you know. Well, yeah, but you don't know what they've done, and how do you know if you should save them or not save them or help them or not? Yeah, that's... Even as God, for Christ's sake, forgave you? Okay. What's the problem? The problem is you won't put charity on. Why? Because your heart's not right. You've been deceived into thinking that you know better than God does. Above all, Put on charity. 
wear it. Wear it like you wear a coat. Go ahead, put it on. Look over to Ephesians chapter 6. I'm going to move on. I think I could sit there for a while, but I don't want to. All right. Ephesians chapter 6. You have the most deceitful thing, that's your heart. You have the most desired attribute, that's to put on charity. You have the most defensive piece right here. Verse number 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand. Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints and for me, that utterance may be given unto me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in bonds, that therein I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. He goes through the armor, and I've preached on the armor pretty recently. Uh, but we, he goes through the armor, right? And he's putting those pieces together. And he, he admonishes us to put on the whole armor of God. But he slides in one little phrase there, and he says, above all, taking the shield of faith. Isn't that the weird piece? I mean, wouldn't you think something else would be better than that? I mean, why not above all grab that sword, right? Notice, notice why you grab it. That's one thing I want you to see. He says, that you may be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. Wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. Uh, real quick, just a question. Uh, right, the, the saying we have now is, never bring a knife to a gunfight, right? Well, don't take a sword when they're shooting at you with bows and arrows, right? Uh, the darts start showing up. Well, what good's a sword going to do from me back there to Mrs. Thomas in the back there? Uh, my sword's not doing much if she's shooting an arrow at me. I mean, I think it's great, you know, just split the arrow down, just knock it down. Yeah, right, good. Good luck with that. Uh, right? That's the movies right there. Uh, I want you to know the devil doesn't always come up to stick you. He wants to hit you from afar. He wants you to not even see. You know, it's amazing to me, and it, you know, some of the military guys they know they know far better. But they're shooting over a mile and hitting targets. You don't even hear the rifle go off, and that guy's on the ground. Say, <laughs> so what would the devil like to do? He'd like you to not even see it coming. He'd like to take you out before you ever saw him even show up anywhere near you. He'd love it if he could drop you from about a mile out and you never even know where the shot came from. 
Say, what protects you from that? Above all, taking the shield of faith. Say, what happens? The devil goes ahead and he fires off and he says, hey, you know what I'll do? I'll go ahead and what I'm going to do is I'm going to mess with his family. That's what he did with Eve. I'll take Eve. And if I take Eve and I get her, you know what I'll do? I'll take all of the family away from Job, but I'll leave his wife and I'll use her. Isn't it amazing sometimes the people you never thought would be the ones who are, who are coming around right behind you and do the most damage to your life? And they make you want to quit. People, events, things you never saw coming. Things you didn't see. You remember those pieces? You remember people that were in this room or over in that other building? The shot came, and they didn't know where it came from, and they didn't know what to do. Say, what happened? I wonder if their shield wasn't up. They didn't trust that God could handle the situation that God just allowed in their life. They didn't have confidence that that shot that came through and that piece that that got put down and whatever it was that got knocked around right there, they didn't have confidence that God could get them through that trial and that trouble and that problem and that situation. God can't provide that need and God can't do that over there and God can't fix it over here. And what they get? They get shot from afar. I didn't see that coming, and it rattled them, shook them. The Lord says, above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all. All of them. Say, why is the shield so important? Because it can take all of them. You notice, the pieces are there, right? You've got, you've got the breastplate of righteousness and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, your loins girt about with truth. You've got, you've got all these other pieces, but there's chinks in the armor, isn't there? There's always gaps. That's what they look for. They look for the gaps. So what covers those? The shield covers those. It makes it so it's seamless. It's a solid barrier between you and and whatever fiery darts could fly. I am not going to tell you to not put on the rest of the armor. Just grab your shield of faith. That's foolish. The armor is there. He told you to take the whole armor. But you know what he said? Make sure you grab that shield. Make sure you grab that because too many people forget that I'm the one in control. God's looking at you and going, hey, I've got it. you you got to trust me. Because the battle's going to get bad, and the time is going to get bad, and things are going to get rough, and it's not going to be easy, and you're not going to have it smooth, and the battle's going to rage up, and you know what you're going to think? Carest thou not that we perish? That's what the disciples thought. Lord, we're sinking. Don't you care that we're about to die? And he gets up, because he's napping. He gets up, walks out. Now, peace be still. (laughs) What were you guys worried about? Why do you have such little faith? 
no shield when the storms came up. Above all, taking the shield of faith. Because when you start getting your heart in the right area, when you start turning that heart and you start going to charity, the devil's going to do everything he can to rock you to make sure you don't keep up a shield of faith. Turn back over to Psalms, the book of Psalms. You have the most deceitful at your heart. You have the most desired attribute, that is your, uh, that is charity. You're to put on charity. Psalm 95, Psalm 95 if you would. You have the most defensive piece of the armor, the shield of faith. I'm about, to, I'm about to get a little fired up, so I know I've been excitable already, but here <laughs> Look at chapter 96, verse number 4, for the Lord is great. And greatly to be praised, he is to be feared above all gods. Chapter 97, verse number 9. For thou, Lord, art high above all the earth, thou art exalted far above all gods. Look over at Psalm 135. Verse number 5. Psalm 135, verse 5. For I know that the Lord is great, and that our Lord is above all gods. Say, what is this? This is the most dominant. You say, who is he? Uh, he is God Almighty. And there is nobody like him. There is nobody that could parallel what he does. There is nobody as great as he is. There is nobody who can save to the uttermost like he can save. There is nobody who can reach down to the lowest pits and darkest depths that you and I got pulled up out of and that horrible pit that you and I were brought from. All of those pieces, you know what God does? He says, hey, I'll pull you right up out of there and you know what I'll do? I'll establish your feet upon a rock and I'll set your goings and I'll take care of you for the rest of your life. There is not a God in the universe that could save you outside of Him. He looks around in the world and you know what He says? Beside me there is no Savior. That's why you can have a shield of faith. That's why, because of who He is. The God that you and I have is not a God that does the little things and goes ahead and sometimes by chance might accidentally get it right. He throws prophecy after prophecy after prophecy after prophecy and then shows up and goes, I did it. I told you I was going to do that, by the way. I did it. Hey, by the way, I told you I'd send my son and he'd be called Emmanuel, which be interpreted as God with us. And he's going to come and a virgin shall conceive and bring forth the son. And I, I'm telling you right now, he's going to show up and he's going to be governor. He's going to be mighty counselor, the everlasting father, the prince of peace. And of the increase of his government, there shall be no end. And one day that last part of that prophecy is coming. But until then, he sent his son. You know what he did? 
He died not for ours only, but also for the sins of the world. He died as the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. Said it. Why? Because of Isaiah 53. Wounded for our transgressions and bruised for our iniquities, the chastisement of our peace was upon him. With his stripes were healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. And he looks around, and you know what? There's not one other God in the world that ever asked for uh, himself to go ahead and make a sacrifice. Instead, he always asks his people to make the sacrifice. And God says, no, no, I'll provide myself a lamb. So who is he? He's a God above all gods. He is the God of the universe. He is the creator. He is the Lord of the universe. He is king above all gods. He is king. Look at that phrasing. He is king above all gods. Okay, you got your little God over there. Well, I'm his ruler. <laughs> I'm the king. And when he's done, it's because I said he's done. So is he? He's God almighty. He's a God of the impossible. He's a God who can do things that nobody else could ever do and you could never explain away. He's a God who can take somebody like you and go ahead and make you a, a, a saint of God. That saint is one declared righteous by God. You know, nobody else in the world can go ahead and make it so that you could have all your sins forgiven. But God can. You know what's amazing about him? He goes ahead and devises the means that his banished be not expelled far from him forever. He's the God who speaks the universe into existence and knows that his own creation is going to fail him and says, don't worry, I've got my son ready to go. The lamb will be slain before the foundations of the world. I already know how this is going to end. Don't worry, I'll take care of it because I want you forever. He's the type of God who turns around and says, you know what, uh, I'll go ahead and I'll heal the sick and the lame and the, and the leper and I'll go ahead and fix everybody that, I, that would just trust me. You know what he'll do? He'll go ahead and he'll fix somebody who doesn't even trust him, but somebody else brought him. That's a merciful God. Say, so why is he a God above all gods? Because he has all of the authority to do so. Whatever he wants to do, that's what he does. You look at the end of the book of Job, and he calls Job out, and he goes and deals with him, and deals with him, and deals with him, deals with his friends, deals with everybody there, and you know what everybody says? Nothing. How am I going to order my cause to him? You know what's amazing about him? What, what's amazing is he lets you and I complain to him like he's done something wrong. And he doesn't just strike you down. Say, so what is that? That's the one who does have true power. You know what a weak man does? A weak man gets criticized, and you know what he does? He lashes out and beats down the other competition. He tries to act, act like he's dominant. You know... I'm going to get to something in a minute. I'm a, little too, I'm a little too pumped right here. He's God Almighty. You know what he doesn't have to do? He doesn't have to tell you all the time that he is. He doesn't have to prove anything. What does God have to prove to you? He just always comes back and does it over and over. He just always comes through. He is the constant. 
He is the one who is always there and never leaves us nor forsakes us. He's the one who's never failed us. He's the one who always can save. His arm is not shortened that he cannot save. He is the one who always seems to be able to step in at the right time, at the right moment, and always gets it right. And then we look around and go, oh God, I don't really like that you did that. And then you find out, you know, praise the Lord he did that. (laughs) By the way, you ought to apologize to him for the times you've done that. He doesn't deserve it. He does all things well. Say, who is he? He's the God above all gods. He's the God of the universe. By him, all things consist. You realize that that the atoms that are holding you together, all those pieces right there, he's the only reason you're still together. When he decides not to, the molecules in the universe are going to blow apart. Say, where do you get that? Second Peter, the elements melt with a fervent heat. Say, what is that? Sounds like an atom bomb to me. He just stops holding it together. What does he do? He just melts it. There's no other God like him. There's no other God who's as merciful as he is. His mercies get renewed every morning. (laughs) And his compassions, they fail not. He's long-suffering. He's gracious. He's slow to anger and of great kindness. He is the only God of the universe. There is no secondary throne. There is no second place. He is the only place. The Bible says that in all things, He might have the preeminence. He is it. There is no second place God. They're either God or they're nobody. And if you don't believe me, you get to Revelation chapter 19 and God proves it. He steps down out of heaven and he comes down on a great white horse with him that sat upon it uh, who is called faithful and true and in righteousness. He doth judge and make war. His eyes are as a flame of fire and on his head are many crowns. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood. His name is called the word of God. And down he comes. And the entire setup for the whole battle is huge. And then he says, he calls all the fowls of heaven, you know, he gets all that together and he says, uh, yep. And uh, he goes ahead and he takes the beast and the false prophet, tosses them in a lake of fire, binds the devil for a thousand years. And uh, they go ahead and all those fowls get to eat the flesh of captains and the flesh of mighty men. One verse, he summed up the entire battle. Some competition that was. Devil tries to devil tries it again. He lets him out. Realize the devil doesn't get out of the bottomless pit because of his own strength. He gets out because the Lord looses him. He gives, he gives the world one more try. And they fail him. And why do you give him one more try? Because he's merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and of great kindness. Gives them all one more chance, and they fail him. And he melts an entire, the, the battle doesn't even happen. <laughs> they, they go to siege the city where he is, and he just goes, okay, we're done. Game over. You know, Balaam tried to outsmart God. That didn't go so well for him. He's the most amazing, unbelievable, but almighty God of the universe. 
and he's your God. That's why you can have a shield of faith. Because what God has never been amazed. You may get amazed. God never gets amazed at what happens in your life. You don't see the shot coming. He'd already seen it. He already knew you were in the scope. He already knew that everybody was ready to go. He already saw it. So you might be soon shaken in mind, but he's not. So then you can have confidence he's got it all together. Turn over to Psalm 138. I'd calm down, but I got one more point. You have the most deceitful, the most desired, the most defensive, the most dominant. And right here in Psalm 138, you have the most distinguished. I will praise thee with my whole heart before the gods will I sing praise unto thee. I will worship toward thy holy temple and praise thy name for thy loving kindness and for thy truth. For thou hast magnified thy word above all thy name. That God that I just talked about, the, you know, the creator of the universe, that by his word spoken out into the universe, he made it all. By him all things consist, and he's holding it all together and making sure that you and I still breathe. Making sure that your heart's still beating making sure those lungs are still filling full of air. That same God that hung the earth upon nothing, that sent out the stars off of his fingertips, that same God where he reaches out and he says the heavens are the span of his hand. You know what he says about it? He says that he's magnified his word above all his name. Now, if you don't know how highly God regards his own name, Jesus' name, the Lord Jesus Christ, God says that every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord of the glory of God the Father when he hears that name. Past, present, future, everybody who hears that name in eternity, you know what they'll do? They'll drop a knee immediately. The devil included will drop a knee immediately based upon his name. You know what he says? He says he magnified his word above all his name. Now, some people, they don't, they don't get it, and they're not going to get it, and that's fine. doesn't bother me a bit. That's their call. But you know why you don't have faith? You know why your heart's on all the wrong things? You know why you don't have charity? You know why you don't know the Lord and how mighty and amazing and powerful He is, that He's the God above all gods? Because the only way you know Him is through the pages of His Word. That's why he is so particular about it. You know, 
We don't, mi we don't mind if somebody quotes us. It's when they misquote us. To get it to say what they want to say. What's, the wrong, what, what's wrong with having something wrong in the Bible? It gives you the wrong picture of the one who wrote it. And he purposely magnified it above all his name. It must be pretty important to him. If by the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that's the only means of salvation. That's the only means of you and I getting to, to a sinless heaven is Jesus Christ and his name. And God says, I put my word above that. I've exalted it higher than that. Then it must mean an awful lot to him. Does it mean an awful lot to you? It saddens me. And I don't know whose it was. There was no name in it, which also is kind of indicative. But me and the deacons, we were doing a little walkthrough a few weeks ago. Just kind of looking at the property, and I was handing some things off maintenance-wise to them, and we were kind of going over some stuff. And I walked out, and on the back benches out there by the playground, there was a, there was a Bible that was sitting out there, and it had poured all day. Everything was soaked. And it was a nice looking Bible. It wasn't like, you know, the wasn't like the, the two dollar, you know, little paperback bound, you know, thing. It was I mean, it was nice. You can ask the deacons, they saw it. And it's just sitting out there in the rain. Say so what'd you think? Oh, who in the world could leave a Bible out here? I don't know if that was you. If it is, I'm sorry I'm using you as my illustration. But I'm sorry you left a Bible out there more than that. I find Bibles in pews. I find Bibles sitting out in, in, the, in the entryways. I find Bibles sitting all over the place. You say, well, I got two or three at the house. I know. We're in America, we got it. There's something strange about my Bible. I had a pile of Bibles in my office. I've, I've got them. I, I've got one sitting in the truck. I've got, I, I got two in the truck right now. Uh, we got Bibles. But you've got your Bible. When I go to preach... Here it is. This is this is the one. I mean, it's it's already starting to wear a little bit. I haven't broken it in well as I wanted to because I'd like to put more notes in it. But anyways, so was, realize if if I get up to preach, I don't have this one right here. I feel weird. I feel weird when you go to read. And you go to open up your Bible. Some of you have a separate reading Bible from a Bible you even take out of your house. Some of you have a Bible you've read so many times that it has fallen apart. If you took it out of the house, you're pretty sure it's just going to fall apart if anybody ever touched it. So you keep it at your house because that's the one you read and you've always read from that one. Right? Could you imagine misplacing that? Here's what I don't get. 
I don't get how you can misplace that and never know that it's missing. When he says that I've magnified my word above all of my name. Why is it that you don't memorize it and you don't think about it and you don't read it and you don't study to show thyself approved and you don't, you don't really care about it? But the Lord goes ahead and puts it in the preeminent place of I'll put it above my own name. Now, I, I believe this is a Bible-reading church. I believe you love the Bible. But I think even, even I don't always give it the glory it deserves. Because he takes that thing, and everything in him basically goes, that is the most important thing I've ever given to you to know about me. I gave you his son, and he gave you the Holy Ghost, and he gave you all that, but you realize it's magnified above all his name. How would you know of Jesus without the words of God? How would you know of him without a Bible? How would you, how would you be able to figure out how to worship him without a Bible? How do you know? If, if we're created to bring him pleasure, if we're created to do all those things and to know what pleases him, how do you know what pleases him if you don't have a Bible? How do, you know, how do you know what heaven's going to be like without a Bible? How do you know what God wants, doesn't want, hopes for, looks for, helps you to do, helps you not to do? How do you know any of the promises that he has? How do you know any of those things if he didn't give you a book to tell you all about it? And too many times people leave it. They don't read it. They don't study it. They don't try to figure out what it was saying. They don't try to rightly divide. I talked about that a little bit in Sunday school. They don't try to do any of those things. They just go, ah, I'll get it later. And you and I both know later never comes. I'll get it later. No, you won't. No, you won't. It just makes it easier for you not you not to do it tomorrow. And then a, a day turns into two days turns into a week, turns into a month. Above all, I wonder if we would esteem the words of his mouth more than my necessary food, if we would esteem it the way that he esteems it and magnify it above all his name, if we would do that, if maybe, just maybe, all the other above alls would be in the right place. Our heart wouldn't be as deceitful because we've got the truth of the Word of God telling us how to fix that, and so our charity will be in the right place because we're listening to the love of God and how we're supposed to live, and our shield of faith will increase because, by the way, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the Word of God, and our shield starts growing, and we won't forget to pick that up because we understand, hey, that's what I believe, and that's the truth, and I've got the truth, and I'm carrying it around, and we're ready to go, and because of that, we're learning more about who God is, and we go ahead and have God placed above everything else, all the things that you love and all the things that you want to have and all the desires you've got and God says hey I'm the I am God it's not your money it's not your job it's not your family it's not all these other things it's me and we go ahead and we put him in the right spot and we magnify his word above all his name and you know what we'll have we'll have everything in the right order and it all starts with what you're going to do with this book let's go ahead and stand
above all. Above all. May the Lord's dealing with you tonight. Go ahead and, and take some time. Take some time with Him. Maybe you're in here tonight, you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior. I don't know if there's anybody in here or not. But in a moment, they're going to start playing. We're going to sing. We're going to do what we call an invitation here. And we're going to invite you. Some have come already. Christians, saved folks have come, and they're, they're dealing with the Lord about some things that maybe they've had out of order. Or maybe they're just praising Him because the Lord was so good to them. We're going to invite you now. If you're not saved in here tonight, you don't know for sure heaven is your home for all of eternity. We'd love to take and open up the Word of God and show you out of a Bible how you can know you have eternal life. Sins forgiven forever. That's a gift God wants to give you. And you can know it from the Word of God. And tonight we'd love to show you you'd be willing to come. If you're saved in here tonight, maybe you got some things out of order. Now's the time to put them back in order. Now's the time to get things above all. Put them in the right spot and understand what they are. So that you can finish well. Try and keep them in the right place. Father, I thank you for the night. I thank you for your goodness to us. I thank you that you explain and show us all those pieces so we can know exactly how to have them placed in our lives and the importance they have. Lord, I pray if someone here doesn't know Jesus Christ as their Savior, they'd call upon Jesus Christ alone tonight in Jesus our Savior's name. Amen.